Well, good morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? Good. There's so many beautiful people in this building. Come on, we need to just let somebody know. God made some, God doesn't make junk, right? Come on, somebody just needed to hear that today. That's not how I was going to start the service, but man, I got up here and started seeing all these beaming faces, and I'm like, I love seeing God's people in God's house. This is awesome. How many of you are glad you came to church this morning? Come on, I am too. I was thinking about it. I was a little on the fence. No, that's not true. I was excited, ready to come. We're in week three of an exciting series, and we're going to jump into that. But before we do, I do want to give you one uh, quick reminder. We have something very exciting. In addition to this being the first year of our VCA, our Vintage Christian Academy that you just heard about, we're also launching a uh, church college, a church leadership college. And so there's an informational meeting for that today at our Harker Heights location at 5 p.m. I'm going to be over there. If you are uh, somebody who's thought about going into full-time ministry, or honestly, this is a great opportunity for students maybe that are graduating from high school, not quite sure what they want to do yet, uh, even coming for a year as like a gap year before you uh, go on to whatever else God calls you to do. Um, I just want to let you know about that. You can come. I do need you to register. Uh, you can jump online to do that because there is going to be food. Come on. Food's a good thing, right? So anyway, that's my only announcement for you today. Uh, other than if it smells like something's burning, it's not. We just had to literally turn the heat on a little bit because our AC is so powerful that it was already down to 65 and headed towards 50 when I looked at the, yeah, nobody wants any part of that. So I had to Shift it and turn it back the other way, but that'll, that'll cool out, and we'll be a nice 70 for the rest of our cruise today. <laughs> I got extra jokes today. I don't know. It's just the mood I woke up in. My name is Keegan. If we haven't met, I am the lead pastor at this location. If you want to leave now, you can, but uh, it's going to get even more fun as we go. So let's dive in. I hope you brought your Bibles. Come on. Does anybody carry a Bible anymore? In this church, we still love it when people have actual Bibles. So if you need a Bible to come see us, we've got Bibles, but uh, you know, the digital stuff is all great. You can, you know, use the app for notes and all that, but come on, there's nothing like having a physical copy with you, right? That, that if the internet goes down, you're not stuck without God's word. Come on, that's why, that's why God started with written stuff and not just digital. But let's get into this. Ephesians 3, this is our main passage for today, uh, 1 through 21. I'm going to read this for you. It says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. Now remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's literally in prison for doing what God has called him to do. And he writes this letter to the Ephesian church. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. You can go back uh, and listen to the podcast. But, but he's writing to encourage them because the Ephesians have allowed the world to influence their church. And so there's some mixture there. And there's some things that their ideologies that they're adopting and things that they're doing that are not in line with what God instructed them to do. And so he's writing this letter and, and this revelation. He's revealing it. By reading this in verse 4, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We talked a little bit about this last week, but we're going to dive even further into it today. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Somebody say his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim 
to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, say in him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, I love this, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, we can go home now, right? Anything that I'm going to say after that is subpar. God's word is so powerful. I love this. We're talking today about the purpose of the church. See, we, be, we began this series walking through Ephesians talking about this mystery that even the devil himself didn't know, the mystery of the church, of what God's plan was that he, the Bible says, predestined, right? And again, we talked about being predestined does not mean that we didn't have a part to play in all of it. It just means that God saw the end from the beginning and he knew that he was making a plan for his people not to be lost forever after they fell. Because Adam and Eve fell first, but just so we don't get on a self-righteous kick, listen, if we were in that garden, we would have done the same. Some people are like, no, I wouldn't. I would have been fine with all those other fruits and vegetables. No, you would have fallen too. Because all of us, the Bible says, have fallen short. He just fell first and Eve fell first. And we've been falling ever since. But God made a plan because he wasn't going to settle for us just having to go to hell and that's it. Do you know God did not make hell for us? He didn't make hell for you. He made hell for Lucifer and all the fallen angels. You got to know that. God's never said, you know, I'm going to go. It's better that I leave you so that I can go and make a place for you in hell. That's not what the Bible says, right? He's making a place for us with him in heaven. Not hell. So we don't want anyone to go to hell. The Bible says that you're wondering why Jesus hasn't quite come back yet. Listen, it's not because of all the, the eschatology and all the end times folks saying there haven't been enough uh, discolored moons and whatever else. And I'm not trying to minimize that. But, but the real reason why God hasn't come back yet and all of those things that have been prophesied haven't been fulfilled yet is because it says God is patient. Patient, giving people time to repent and turn to him. That is the real reason why we haven't seen Christ come back to the earth yet. God is up there going, come on, one more, one more. If the gospel can just get shared. And that's why what we're talking about today is so powerful. The purpose of the church, number one, to reveal the mystery of Christ. In these first verses, one through six, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, on behalf of uh, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. Look at this in verse 4. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He was trying to explain to them the power of the church. He's trying to explain to them what 
the power and significance of Jesus going and dying on the cross, rising again from the dead, what that means for all of us. And in this time, the Jews and the Gentiles were not in unity. Matter of fact, they were fighting about whether or not the, the Gentiles would be allowed into the household of God. And if you're not Jewish, guess what you are? Well, I'm an American. No, you're a Gentile. Gentile American. You can look for that on your next form you have to go fill out. But we're Gentiles. If you're not born Jewish, right, and you're not in the, the, that lineage and that descent, you are a Gentile. So thank God that in them rejecting Christ, he opened up the door and allowed the rest of us to get in. Come on, that's a good thing. I don't usually thank people for rejection, but in this case, it might warrant. Thank you for rejecting Christ so that the rest of us actually could get in on that same great deal y'all got, which is to be in the family of God. But there was this back and forth, and so Paul was seeing this disunity and discord in the church, and he's like, that's not what, what it's about, because before Christ came, there was Jews and Gentiles, or Jews and pagans. Come on, Gentiles sounds a little less derogatory than calling us pagans. But what he's saying is that now, with what Jesus Christ has done, there's something greater than both. It's called the church. It's called my body, the body of Christ, where Paul goes on to say, there's no longer Jew or Gentile once we're in the family of God. It doesn't matter what your natural descent is or your natural ethnicity or where you come from. Once you're in the family of God, guess what? The spiritual part of being in God's family trumps your natural condition. This is going to be a great morning already, I can tell. The devil didn't know about the church. We talked about this last week. Had he known how the message and the gospel would have spread throughout the world, if he would have known how that would happen by crucifying Christ, he would have never had that happen. Or he would have certainly tried to stop it. I don't think he would have been able to stop it because it would have been it's God's plan and nothing can stop God's plan. But I can tell you, he would have never gone along with it. He would have been like, no, 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 don't kill him, don't kill him. Because that blood has been shed and now he holds the keys to death. He has victory. That's why we have victory. Listen, we don't have victory because we're so strong and so great. It's, you know that old song, my God is so great, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing. Some of y'all need to get a time machine and go back and grow up in church. <laughs> Can't do that, but for real, it's God's strength. It's the strength of what he did. It's the beauty of what he did, his sacrifice, that makes us worthy, that makes us righteous, that makes us able to approach God, like we're going to see in a moment, with boldness. Come on, do you know you don't have to sneak up to God? You can come to him boldly. Man, I'm getting ahead of myself. Colossians 1, 25 and 26. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. The church was always God's plan. Always. God didn't just create the Jewish people and then create all the other peoples of the earth without having a plan to get all of them together in him. He, that was the plan right from the beginning. We just had to watch it play out. Number two, proclaim the gospel of Christ. Come on, it's a good thing for the church to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Right? You don't come every week for a, a self-help message. I'll be honest with you. I'm not interested in whether or not you live your best life now. I'm interested in that you live your obedient life now. <laughs> 
Are we following Christ? The Bible says we can what? We can, we can get, gain the whole world and lose our salvation and miss the greatest thing that we're supposed to experience and have this side of heaven. I hope you live a great life. And I love seeing people get blessed and being fruitful and seeing God do amazing things in their life, take great trips, and, and all that stuff is great. But, but that is not the goal of our life. The goal of our life is to follow Jesus Christ, to, to, to know him and to make him known. So we've got to proclaim the gospel. Ephesians 3, 7 through 11. Verse 8. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim. Somebody say proclaim. To the Gentiles, the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. Have you ever heard this saying, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words? Anybody ever heard that? Nobody? I was going to say, it's going to ruin my example. People say that, right? Like it's, you know, and I know what they mean. What they really mean is that your actions should speak louder than your words. But make no mistake, you should use your words. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Hearing, you can't hear an action. Right? Can you hear me do this? No. And the people on the podcast will be like, I don't even know what you did, but I didn't hear it. But the reality is, you have to preach. We've got to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, about what he's done, about what that means, the significance of that for their life. The Bible says, how will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless there's a preacher, unless somebody preaches? And you don't have to be in vocational ministry full time preaching on Sunday mornings to still preach the gospel. Oh, I thought I'd get a few more. Come on. You can preach the gospel wherever God puts you in life. And I would tell you, it's more important that you preach where you're at. Or certainly just as important than me here on Sunday mornings. I, I don't get to talk to all of the people that you are around, that you're influencing, that are in your sphere. You're their, pa- you're their preacher. You're their pastor. It's up to you. Because what if they never walk through these doors? I'll never get the chance to talk to them and tell them about Jesus. God has empowered you. And look at this. I'm going to give you the sub list. This is kind of what it means. Have you heard of the Great Commission? Right? Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. It continues on. Lay hands on the sick. Cast out devils. Whoa. Listen, that doesn't mean everybody's got a devil and you're just out there like mowing them down. No. But the spiritual realm, like I hinted to last week, and we're going to get into it in the fall in a series on spiritual warfare, it is real. And there are people, this is just be a little side snippet, there are people that actually are possessed by demonic spirits. Now, as a believer, I'll tell you, I don't believe you can be possessed. I believe you can be oppressed. There's a difference. Once you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. There's, there's no room for, for demonic spirits to dwell inside of you. But that doesn't mean that they won't try and oppress you. Does that make sense? So let's not get weird about it. It's easy. It's simple to understand if you actually think about it. But you have power... Because of the Holy Spirit, resurrection power living inside of you to command those dark, those spirits, those unclean spirits, the Bible calls them, to go. You don't have to let depression sit on you. You don't have to let uh, all these other things, anxiety, just sit on you or fear. You can do something about that because of the power that dwells inside of you. 
You can tell that fear to go. Get out of your house. Chaos. Get out of my house in the name of Jesus. You can speak to those things. So look at three commands that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission. Number one is to preach the gospel. You are called and I am called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. What is that? Very simply, that he came and he died in our place. He took our place as sinners, paid the price for our sins so that we could be made pure and that we could be with God. And there's more to it, but that is in its simplistic form. We're all, the Bible says, separated from God because of our sin, but Jesus made a way to fill that gap. And the way is him. And he is the only way. And you know, I heard, I think it was Oprah on some talk show years ago was talking about, well, there's just a big mountain to God and there's all these different paths. No, there's not. God loves Oprah, but that, that's whack. <laughs> there's only one way to the Father, and it is through Jesus Christ, his son. And we'll say it boldly so long as I'm here taking oxygen from the one who made me, I'm going to tell the truth. If you're Buddhist, if you're Taoist, if you're Taoist, if you're Hindu, if you're Sikh, it doesn't matter. There's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen? Two, make disciples. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you know that it's not just the pastor or the church staff's job to make disciples? And I would tell you, sadly, I think in a lot of ways, we've left this responsibility just on the church. Well, it's the church's job on Sundays through their programming to make disciples. That's not how it works. Disciples are made in relationship. And so I would encourage you, get into a small group. You want to know where discipleship happens? In smaller groups. You know, but you can start a small group. You can start one at your job, you know, at 8 o'clock before you all got to start working at 9 o'clock. Just get some people around and say, hey, I just want to tell you about Jesus. And let's, let's follow Christ. Let's learn how we can live a godly life, the things that he's called us to do and told us to do. But we've got to make disciples. And number three, demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at this in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I love this in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 5. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. See, I'm in good company. I don't have brilliance of speech. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Fear meaning reverence, not that he was afraid. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Can I tell you, that is a scripture, especially as a pastor, that I want to live by. I don't, wanna, I don't want people to say about this church, well, we just come because that pastor is real funny. Or that pastor is real slick with how he talks. No, I hope that people come to this church and to any of our locations because they, they sense the Holy Spirit working. I want you to encounter him, not me. We've got to walk in demonstration of the Spirit's power. Come on, how many of you in here have, have 
made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Let's really lift your hand high. Come on. It's a safe place. So you know what that means. That means you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. Which means you can walk in the Spirit. Which means you can demonstrate His power in your life. We're going to do some more teaching on this uh, upcoming. But it's, it's so, this is something that I was sharing with our, our team huddle this morning. The longer I do this, the longer I am, am, am in this role of, of hopefully leading people in Christ, I'm just aware more and more of my inability and his ability. And I, I just sit and I think, man, we can get all this information. I know people who are so much smarter than me, have read the Bible so many more times than me, have studied it so much longer than me, and still have a deadness to their life. Pharisees did it. They knew all about the scriptures, knew all about God, could blow your mind with all of their understanding, and yet didn't walk in the spirit. We've got to walk in the power and presence of God. I'll tell you, that's what turns people's heads. Most of the people that I've seen give their lives to God, it wasn't just because they got all this information. And all of a sudden, it just checked every box and answered every question. No, there was something that, that said, man, I, I've just never, I've never felt this before. I've never experienced a love like this. I realized my sin, and all of a sudden, I just, I just couldn't help but acknowledge him. We've got we to offer people the presence of God. That's what changes lives. Colossians 1.27, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with a strength that works powerfully in me. Listen, we've got to learn. We've got to study. We've got to know what God's word says. But can I tell you, you've got to walk in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I'll tell you practically, you can pray for people at work who are sick. Someone's like, man, I just, I don't know. I can't hardly walk today. My back. Just pull them aside and ask them, hey, I believe God can heal you. Can I pray for you? What will, that, what, what will happen if, if you do that? What if you get fired? I mean, that would make the news. If you got fired for praying for somebody and their back got healed. Why did they fire you? Were you just terrible at your job? No, my coworker's back hurt and they couldn't move and so I just prayed for them and now they're, they're jumping around. I mean, for real, we don't want to just talk about this stuff. This is how you walk in it. You actually are willing to step out there and step out by faith and live it. I'll move on. To live by faith, Ephesians 3.12, in him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Listen, faith is not a feeling. Faith in God is believing that he's God and you are not. It's a good place to start. Powerful, knowledgeable, present. Hebrews 11.6 says this, now without faith it is impossible, say impossible, to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Jesus said that when he comes back, he's going to be looking for faith. Right? Even now, he's looking for faith. What was the thing that you saw him over and over with his disciples? When did he get frustrated with them? When they lacked faith. 
Come on. And, and they had information, but were they acting on that information? Were they acting on the truth of what they knew? That's what God is looking for. He's not looking for what we know as much as what he's, is, is how we're living. Are we applying his truth to our life? Are we stepping out in faith? People don't want to come to a church that doesn't operate by faith. Why? Because it's dead. And you can't sing songs about God can do the impossible if you don't have any in faith. But we want people to walk into this place where they're like, man, I, I'm surrounded by these people. And all of a sudden, I just, I, I'm, I'm believing that I, if God did that for them, if God did that for them, if God did that for them, I, I think he might be able to do it in my life. That's why it's so important that we share our stories, that we give our, our testimonies, that we tell people about how God is operating in our life. And it's, it's a great thing to tell people what you're believing for. And not like some wish list, I'm just holding out for that Ferrari 308 GT. I just know it's coming. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you're talking about, I'm, I'm believing God, we, we want to buy a house. You know, we've never owned a home, and we're, we're just saving up, and we're doing our part, and we're just believing God's going to give us a house. Come on, share that. And so then, when you get that house, guess what? You can all give glory to God. Talk about the things that you're believing God for. Sometimes we just want to keep it a secret because what if it doesn't happen? Listen, can I tell you this about faith? Your part is to believe God. His part is to do it or not do it. Right? We pray for people to be healed. Does every single person get healed the moment we pray for them? No. And do we know why? I don't, I don't have those answers. But I know what God has called me to do is step out in faith and pray and ask him to heal him. We, we share the gospel. That's what God has called us to do. And by faith, we'll speak it. What somebody does with Jesus, whether they reject him or accept him, that's not up to me. That's not up to you. That's up to them. Right? We've got to believe God for things. Come to him with faith. Look at this. 1 John 4.10. Uh, where'd I go? No, I jumped ahead. I'll get back to that. But the Bible says when you come to him, you must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So many people in life, listen, they got it backwards. They're like, well, when I see, then I'll believe. God says, no, unless you believe, you'll never see. At some point, and I, and I love these conversations. I get into them on college campuses with, with young people who are trying to really figure out this God thing. And, 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 and you, you, they start asking these questions and they want all the answers to the Bible. But can I tell you? At some point, even if you get every answer to every question, you're still going to have to apply your faith. At some point, you still have to say, you know what? I don't have all the answers, and I don't know everything about God, but I know enough that I'm going to put my faith in him. At some point, you just have to take that step. It's just how it is. First John 4.10, or number 4, to impart God's love. I'm going to jump down to 1 John 4, 10, 12. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. That's a powerful passage of scripture. Do you know we didn't love God first? That old song says, we loved him because he first. Now, I got to stop doing these old church references. <laughs> but make no mistake, we love him in response to his love for us. 
He made the first step. He took the first move to reconcile us, to bring us into relationship. All we're doing is loving him back, right? Even I love when we get into talk about giving, you know, and tithing. And some people get so hung up on, on money. Can I tell you what? I'm glad to give back to God because who do you think gave me the money in the first place? Who do you think gives me what I need in the first place? I'm happy to give some back. I mean, you really have to think about these things. There's nothing that we can do for God that he hasn't already done for us immeasurably more. Nothing. I don't even control my own life in the sense that I, I don't make my body run on this exchange of oxygen and, and, and whatever the other thing is. I want to say carbon monoxide, but I know that's not right. I'm a preacher. I'm not a science teacher. But I didn't create my body to run the way it runs. God's the one that woke me up this morning. He's the one that woke you up this morning. It's good. God loved us in this way. We must also love one another. We have got to get better at loving. Can I tell you, it's real easy, especially when you start getting into your relationship with God and you start letting him change you and you start seeing things and you start living the way he's called you to live, can I tell you the thing you got to look out for is called self-righteousness. Because you start forgetting more and more where you came from and where you started and where you were when God got a hold of you. And I'll tell you what, that's when you stop loving people. We have got to remember, maybe you need to get a sticky note and put it on your mirror in your bathroom. God loved me first, so I'm going to love everybody else. We love others because we've experienced his love. And if you haven't yet, I'm telling you, you're in the right place this morning because God loves you. And people say, you know, hurt people hurt people. Guess what? Loved people love people. And so when you understand how much the lengths, like I talked about last week, how chosen you are by God, it'll be easier for you to love others i got to wind down. To honor and glorify God, number five. Verse 21, 321 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let me give you two more. John 6, 4 through 15, I think it is, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, they withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let me pull all that together for you. Our lives are about bringing him glory. Anything that we're doing, if we do it as unto him, we bring him glory. How we talk, how we walk, the things that we avoid, the things that we run to. When we're following him, when we're following his spirit and we're living our life with intentionality to bring him glory, that is what we're called to do. Our lives are not our own. The Bible says we were bought with a price. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that you are able to continuously walk in the spirit of God is you have to spend time you got to spend time with him. Jesus got away with the Father. He got away with him. And in those times of communicating with the Father, he was reminded of who he was. He was reminded of, of what 
his mission was, his purpose. That's what God does with us when we'll get alone with him. He'll make sure you know who you are in him. And he'll definitely make you aware of the power that is in you because of his son. John 3.30, it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. As we close, I love the context of that. Because if you know, John the Baptist, whom the Bible says, of those born of, of women that were done greater, he had his disciples, those that were following him as he followed Jesus. And he would talk about how there was one greater than him coming. And finally, Jesus is here, and he's on the scene. And now he's got his disciples. And John's disciples get, go to John the Baptist and say, hey, these people are starting to follow Jesus. And his disciples are baptizing people. And it's almost like there's this turf war happening. Like, you're John the Baptist. It's in your name, man. He's not Jesus the Baptist. It's Jesus. But here's John's response, which should be our response. He's, he looks at his disciples. And he goes, great. That was the plan from the beginning. It was always my intention that you follow him, not me. In all of our preaching and proclaiming the gospel and living it out, listen, it should never end with us. People should, you should never be dependent upon me. My job is to point you to Jesus. I am not the all-sufficient one, the all-knowing one. I don't have brilliant words. I might be a little bit funny sometimes. Guess not. <laughs> but listen, you don't have to carry the weight of trying to get people to buy into you. Help them buy into Jesus. That's all I'm really trying to tell you. Proclaim the gospel. Don't proclaim yourself. Proclaim him. And the Bible says if we will lift him up, that what? He will draw all men and women and children from all nations to be a part of his family. Let me pray for you this morning. I'm a little over time. I know you all are getting used to it at this point. I'm passionate about Jesus. And I love being a part of his church. There is nothing greater, I can tell you. Sporting events, concerts, other big things that you go to, they're all fun, but they're fleeting. I read a quote yesterday from Lou Holtz, the old coach of Notre Dame's football. I don't even remember it verbatim, but he basically said, if you want to be happy for a lifetime, put your faith in Christ. If you want to be happy for shorter amounts of time, there's other little things he says you can do. But if you want lifetime happiness and fulfillment, you've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ today I recognize that you may be in this room and maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe no one's ever told you or shared with you the good news about how much Jesus loves you and how he made you and formed you and has a purpose and plan for your life, that you have meaning and worth and value that is infinite in his eyes. Well, I'm telling you right here, right now today, that is the case. God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, like we do in every service, I want to give you an opportunity to, to commit your life to Jesus, to give your life, to surrender your life to him. So I'm going to ask you if you've never done that before or honestly, if you've 
said that prayer before and you've made that decision, but you've kind of walked away from him, today you can re-surrender your heart and rededicate your life. So if you're wanting to do that, either for the first time or rededicate your life, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now on the count of three. One, two, three. Anyone in this room? No one's going to embarrass you. Praise God. I think we're all believers here this morning. Well, let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this day. Another day with breath in our lungs, God, that we can come and declare who you are, that we can come and worship you together. Thank you for this great country, the freedom that we have to gather without persecution, Lord, and just worship you. I pray, Father, that, that this word would go deep into our hearts. Lord, that we would not just know about you, but we would truly and deeply know you and walk according to your spirit. I pray even this week, Lord God, that we would pause and we'd be led by you. That we would ask you, Lord, is, is there something that, that you want me to say to this person? Is there uh, someone that you want me to pray for? Lord, just show them to me. And I pray we would be obedient and follow that and see you change lives. I thank you for every single person in here. I bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And we pray all this in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.